Most guys, uh, even before you go out, right, you clean up a little bit. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Roger. And welcome to The Middle, where we try to have thoughtful conversations about awkward topics on our search to find the middle. Hi listeners, a heads up about today's episode. Today we unzip some very adult themes, but we promise this is a crack of an episode, so please listen on if you're good to go. I agree, Roger. Let's dive right in then. Hello, Andy. Um, I want to say a big uh, middle podcast welcome to our guest today, uh, Jerome. So how are you doing, Jerome? I'm <laughs> well, mate, and uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Andy. Thank you all. So, Jerome, usually when we... Um, we have a guest on. Before you introduce yourself, I usually tell a um, self-debasing story to just kind of loosen everyone up. And so I'll kind of keep to that tradition today. And this uh, story takes place um, in my office, which is, um, as Andy would know, I work from home primarily. So in um, in my mother's bedroom at the moment. <laughs> Hang on. I, I'm not sure I want to hear this story. Well, see, this is the thing, right? So I've just recently moved out of a, of a place back with our parents right now, which is a crazy situation of a, of a man my age that has a quite a large family. But we're back with um, my mom and dad who have their family house while we look for our next place. So I'm working out of my mom's bedroom. It's the first time I've had to use a virtual background for work. And I noticed the other day, like on a call, some of my colleagues kind of like smiling at me and I like looked up and I had this really long cylindrical water bottle and I was kind of like, I take it straight from the bottle, right? Because I don't like the fact that the glass is there. And what the camera was doing was blanking out this massive picture of like a dong like into my mouth and it was making it transparent so that it would kind of look like I was um, drinking from the bottle and it had like the rounded tip and everything. It wasn't good. And uh, I was like, oh man, like what's going on? Like why are people laughing? And then I saw myself and it had like a, had the tip like right into my mouth and um yeah, was, all of a sudden I was just like in a Japanese porno, you know, when they blur out the, the private bits. Um, so I was wondering whether anyone had that experience before. Uh, I don't use those backgrounds, man. <laughs> Authentic. Yeah. yeah. So you're one of these um, people who actually go to the office, is that right? Uh, pretty much. Or you, you can just see what I've got. I'm not going to take it. So, Jeremy, people see your water bottle in real life then? Rather than they, a virtual. They actually do, and there's not one here right now. Oh, there are. There are a few, actually, if you can see up the top there. And there's a few other suspect-looking oh, things up there, but quite they're a not collect- what you think they are. <laughs> quite a collection. Um, you got I can prove very, it. Very diverse there. You've got some white ones yeah. and some black ones. Um, Somewhat phallic yeah. in nature. They, they are very phallic, aren't they? Looking yeah. back now. So, so on that note, uh, Roger, Jerome, I think we should uh, probably kick off uh, today's proceedings. So, today we're uh, in the tradition of some of our earlier episodes where we've taken advantage of a guest to understand more about um, the lives and experiences of people other than uh, ourselves. We thought we would explore the topic of what it's like to be uh, a gay person or someone who isn't uh, heterosexual in modern Australia. And, and so we thought we would get someone who could speak to those experiences. So Jerome, yeah, maybe if you, you want to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your background and um, and then we can get right into it. Yeah, sure, man. So I'm, um, I guess, I'm of the LGBTQ plus Q, look, whatever, bro. I forgot already <laughs> how many letters there are now. And I don't think that matters, but um, not to me anyway. And um, I have to say that anything I say today, I guess, is of my own personal opinion and experience. So I hope I don't offend anyone. But look, I am of that persuasion. And yeah, look, I've been of that way for some time now. So I guess I've got a bit of experience in in that space. (laughs) Happy to share my thoughts on a few things. Thanks, Jerome. In in the middle, and I think even in, in growing up, I suppose, always been interested in other perspectives like Andy said so I think it's really you know an amazing chance to kind of have that and I do think whenever you have um, a chat about LGBT issues especially from a heterosexual point of view it's always quite a curious dynamic that plays out where often as you're curious about elements and you're exploring them you're often wondering whether it's okay to do so 
you know, and I and I and I think that that's a common dynamic that plays out for 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 this kind of thing. You know, you know, we've we've caught a real life one. You know, we left out some counterfeit Kylie Minogue tickets and we trapped you in the glass cage. You know, and and now we're we're gonna treat you like a like a carnival experiment. And I think that's sometimes I think it's the problem. Like I think people sometimes confuse this idea of like fascination as not acceptance. And I, I think that that definitely isn't the case um, for me personally. Um, I think that it's totally you know, fine to be fascinated and curious, but also um, respectful and accepting as well. And I kind of, that's that's what I'm hoping we can have the tone of our conversation today, but uh, let's see how we go. <laughs> Agreed, uh, man. Yeah. So I guess like, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. And I think that it's a fair point because I know growing up where, you know, Andy and I grew up and especially in school, there was no kind of gay or lesbian people, I would say out, you know, it wasn't really a thing. And that's pretty remarkable because it wouldn't really be that way now. So we went through a long, fair part of your life without really coming into contact with those views in, a, in an open manner, um, which, you know, looking back is a real, you know, a shame, but also a sign of the times and how we've progressed. Did you want to have a little bit of a go of telling us kind of your story of and how you, you kind of process those feelings that you didn't fall into the hetero kind of culture? Yeah, sure, sure. So thinking back, I'm getting on right now. So it was some time ago, I reckon it would have been about 30 years ago when I first started to feel that something wasn't quite the same as everybody else. But at that time, you know, I wasn't really sure what that meant. And I grew up in the country as well. At that point in time, when you're growing up, you know, your kids, you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was very clear looking back that some people were very clearly of a different, they were different to, to everybody else. And I kind of, I'm not sure if I felt comfortable to be that way at the time. So I kind of did something else that I needed to do to get through. And yeah. Yeah. So and I think that's a, that's a really common experience, isn't it? Of having to adapt to the environment and trying to, it's this thing about fitting in, I suppose, that everyone goes through, but is even more extreme for members of the LGBT community. Yeah, definitely. When I reflect back now, I I feel like if I was growing up now, that would that would not have happened. It would have been very very different to what I had to experience, unfortunately. How salient was it for you? Were you a hundred percent sure in? Yeah, I'm. I'm- I, w- I was not. No, I I was not at that time. And yeah, to be completely open and honest, I played both ways. And yeah, I'm not sure that worked out well for a few people. But that's what happens when society says you should be doing one thing and you're not sure with that you need to do something else. But that being said, I feel like everyone's on a spectrum. You're not either one or the other. It's just that you'd prefer to do something different. Yeah, that, that's something that I must admit that um, that I have struggled with, comprehending the spectrum aspect of, of it all. Because I think that... Um, you know, we're all victims of our own societal norms, right? And the environments that we we grew up in and that we're socialized in. How would how would you kind of, um, Jerome, describe this idea of like the spectrum? Either either it doesn't have to be directly from you as well, but if you were trying to say describe it to someone who just couldn't wrap their head around it, is it this kind of complex thing that involves splitting romantic feelings versus physical attraction, or is it both? Is it like how it's how would totally you totally both, man? So, and I'm not sure this has really changed, but you're either gay or you're heterosexual. And if you're neither one of those, then you're kind of an outcast, I feel, at the moment. And if you want to check on Twitter, you'll find heaps of people that aren't in either of those categories. But, Mm. you know, I feel like if you could not go out and describe yourself as being bisexual at the moment and be comfortable about that, I don't feel that you can anyway. Do do, do you think it's because you're... You know, you're seen by either community, like so, either the heterosexual or or gay community, as you're just making this shit up, right? You're actually, yeah, you're like, playing it both ways. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. Like, you're not serious. You don't want either one, and and it's either this or that, like yeah. on or off. And and I feel like that's how how it's working at the moment. But this is starting to change. So the younger generations that are coming through now are uh, a little bit more fluid compared to what what I've experienced. But I guess in terms of, uh, you know, the, the notion of a spectrum and, I mean, even your what you just said around the, the gay community kind of ragging on you if you if you buy and then the heterosexual community sort of yeah. like, ah, oh, come on, how can you be like, you know, I mean, in some ways, isn't that part of the challenge, right? Because like Roger, you mentioned like you, you, you struggle to get your head around it, but like every cultural force that you faced growing up reaffirmed, let's say you're, you're 80% 
hetero and 20% gay, right? Let's just for, I'm not sure if that's, as long as it's the bottom half, we're, <laughs> we're all good. Let's get the calculator out. But, but like every part of like culture is like reinforcing yeah. the 80%, which then just like, okay, that 20% will just keep that in the box somewhere and pretend it doesn't exist, right? Whereas if you're, let's say it's the other way around, right? You're 20% hetero, 80% gay, then it's actually the whole of society and culture and all that trying to amplify that 20% thing such that the 80% is actually really what should be dominating, but it, you know, the, the power of culture and society actually yeah. is, you know, so it's hard to understand it. Exactly, Andy. And that's why I mentioned that, like, we're all victims of, uh, well, we're all prisoners in terms of our, the way we've been socialized, right? It's like catching your brother looking at gay porn, right? You, you kind of think to yourself, he's gay. Like, there's there's no way that that he's, he's not kind of gay, right? If you, if you're what you thought was a straight man looking at a gay porn. Now, you shouldn't really think that, right? Because it could be all the things that we're speaking about, ex- experimentation, it could be on a spectrum, all this kind of stuff. But in your mind, it's such a threat to kind of identity and this idea that you would choose to look at gay porn. And it, it kind of think it challenges your identity of of what masculinity is, right? And I, I actually want to move there next around what do heterosexual people not really understand about gay culture? And I think I want to start with this idea of the trope, right? That gay men have idiosyncrasies, they're camp, they're effeminate, you know, so all these kind of things that go with the cliche and this idea of what's masculine versus what's feminine, how does that play into gay culture? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one because I, I never got that. Like, I, I don't understand it. I've got many, many, many friends who are, he would describe as camp and effeminate. But I'd never got it. And I feel like it's kind of a protection mechanism where they want to identify someone different to heterosexual men. I feel like that could be it. Do you think it's a signaling thing, Jerome? Like um, I'm reading uh, like this idea of, you know, throughout history, it's you kind of had a quite a high risk situation to to know whether if someone There are other signals. You know. There are other signals. Sorry to interrupt the episode. If you're enjoying our content, make sure to hit subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you never miss an episode. Let your friends know about us. Your support means a lot and word of mouth really helps. A great way to share with your friends is to comment, engage, like and share some of our social media posts. We're on all major platforms and you can find our links in our show notes or our website www.themiddle.site. And guess what? We've got even more for you. We're building a subscriber email list so we can give access to content that you can't get any other way. Check our show notes to find out how to get added to our subscriber list or visit our website at www.themiddle.site. Thank you. And we'll return you now to the episode. Not to get um, off the off this um, tangent, but oh, I'm actually really interested in, in that, right? So, okay. So, like I live in, in the inner city of Sydney and in, an, in probably a part of Sydney that has, like according to the census, the highest proportion of people who who would identify as not heterosexual put it that way and you know everything other than heterosexual if you were in a bar in my area with what confidence would you have in knowing yep straight 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 gay is it just abundantly clear or i'd be pretty confident i reckon you get a look mate and um if you get the look you know Go into the bathroom and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. But, but I, I, look, I remember in previous conversations, Jerome, you said that gaydar wasn't a real thing, though. So, or is it just a thing gaydar, like white chicks say that a, they have a good gaydar, but really they have no idea? There's a look. And when I talk about the look, it's not the look of the person. It's the eye contact that right. you get. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had a situation where you've been fairly confident that someone, yep, whether you got the look or there were some other signals or vibes and it turned out not to be the case? Yeah, no, man. I mean, you you kind of, it's it's the same thing with a straight couple or it's, you know, if you walk up to a girl and, and you get the the wrong kind of vibe, then you fucking, you turn away, right? You, you don't keep pushing. But with gay guys, I think it's a little bit easier in that you get the look and it's on. There's not a lot of, yeah, mucking around there. You know, you mentioned this not understanding the effeminate culture versus the masculine, you know, just you are who you are. Do you see, is there is there any truth to this idea that there is pairing and balance in coupling and relationships? So there is still a kind of masculine and feminine role that's played in a, in a couple? No, I don't think that happens. I, I Look, it, it might happen for a few, but again, in my experience, um, it, it's completely mixed up, man. Like other people are happy to mix it up a bit you can't say that there's always the effeminate one always the masculine one you'd see that in porn though definitely 
definitely. Yeah. Just not real life. I asked my brother's friend. I have to take his word for it. So, Jerome, just in terms of like, you know, that really camp kind of flamboyant culture and, you know, so you, you mentioned that you, you don't think it's really signaling because it's not really actually necessary. I guess I would perceive it to be somewhat of a like fuck you to, you know, almost um, everyone who caused problems for someone growing up because of the way they were almost. Yeah. Like it's almost like a rejection of... Oh, you know. totally. And great point. Like, look at Mardi Gras. That's why it exists, right? I, like, in my mind, that was that was a protest, and that was a protest about being persecuted and fucking arrested for doing what heterosexuals believed was the wrong thing, and, and that's how it all came about. But times have changed, yeah. and I agree that we can't forget it, but, I mean, for me now, that parade has become completely irrelevant. Um, do, do you think that, it, that as someone, so, so like there's a couple of people that, that I know, either know personally or certainly know of who have expressed this sort of view of like, where's the place for me as a gay person who doesn't want to like hop on inflatable cocks down Oxford Street. I just want to be just like a normal person and I don't want to buy into that whole culture. That's not part of who I am and actually have actually, even though they themselves, you know, do identify as part of the community they actively reject it. Is there a divide? I think there is, mate. And if people are struggling, that they, they turn to the apps, right? The internet has and the apps have helped these people so much because you've got you've got Grindr, you've got Feld, you've got oh fuck, I can there's a whole raft of these apps. And they help people connect that would otherwise not be able to understand how they fit into the community. You don't need Mardi Gras anymore to do that. And, you know, some people aren't comfortable screaming up Oxford Street dressed in rainbows and these apps are definitely helping them to do it in another way that might be a bit more comfortable for them. So I think that's helping. I mean, I must admit, especially in a, in a boring corporate environment, it becomes a bit of a pastime to, to kind of test the old gaydar sometimes. And I think that there's been a few times where, oh, I guess what you would say as camp or feminine idiosyncrasies have resulted in a few misfires, right? They're actually, and they're usually young people that people go, oh, he must be gay. He's got the twang. He's got the campness. Or maybe they have families or whatever kind of thing in a heterosexual environment. And um, so it is It is kind of an interesting take. That, and I think it's changing even more with younger people that they don't feel the same tug of masculinity that perhaps we did growing up, this idea of like having to be manly. They kind of almost double down into it and say, well, uh, I can be whatever I want. Like, I don't, I don't really care. Let, let's face it, though, like the biggest signal in the office of whether someone's gay or not is if someone's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, older, not not young, but, you know, 30s and above is whether they've got a good body and they're really sharply dressed. Be careful, Andy. <laughs> like, surely that. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. Is that yeah. is that why you've actively not worked on your body for a while? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, like... <laughs> All right. I wouldn't mind um, switching now to a little bit about relationships and differences, right? Because I think this is also a topic that has a lot of questions, a lot of misconceptions and things like that. Um, and I'll kind of just throw one out there. Jerome, maybe we can discuss it um, with the caveats that, you know, I don't take this stance, but it's just something that, you know, you, you do hear kind of every now and then. And this is probably more from a, a man's point of view. And this is this idea of differences between heterosexual couples and, and relationships. Imagine if there were two men involved. Like, wouldn't this result in like an un kind of restrained kind of like anything goes attitude? And then how does that translate to, yeah. to like a couple? Yeah, look, uh, it does. And I, I feel like the, the vast majority of couples that I am friends with have what, what is called an open relationship because sometimes the, the feelings between each other, they're very strong, right? But um, you need something else. And what happens is you, you find out that quick need elsewhere. And I don't feel like that's okay in a heterosexual relationship. Although, again, I'm learning quickly that in some relationships it is okay. It's becoming a, a, a thing now. But yeah, certainly with the, with the gay relationship, it's just the way it is. What prevalence of relationships would you, if you had to guess, would be monogamous? I'd give monogamous? it seventy percent. I'd give it thirty, seventy uh, percent open, thirty monogamous, based wow. on the people that I know. 
What um, about yeah. um, like uh, let's say uh, in a like a gay marriage situation? I can't answer that question. I don't know the the gay marriages I do know are open relationships. Yeah. There's definitely a big difference there, right? There's not an imagined kind of slight of no. <laughs> heterosexual no, judgment that actually um, no, this it, idea it of being open. Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, I'll kind of you know I'll share my own perspective on this because actually you know I'll caveat this with uh, I'm someone who loves you know experiencing sub you know subcultures and different experiences and things like that one one drunken night I um, agreed to go with a friend into a sauna um, and I'd never been in a sauna before so of course it's a gay sauna and I kind of like went into this world like not knowing anything about it and it was very very confronting right as someone who prides himself on being accepting and you know being open to things like that it was just like another world that I had not wrapped my head around and had not really processed because in the heterosexual world, like like you said, it's very monogamous. People are very possessive, very judgmental and affection, especially like both mental and physical affection is tied down really tightly, right? In a very codependent way. And so what I observed at the sauna was a real departure from that and this idea of kind of what maybe you're saying and, and things that, that the act of kind of, you know, hooking up with someone or whatever doesn't necessarily have to impact other relationships and other things around it. And that's what I was seeing on mass at this sauna, right? There was just like a free flow that kind of almost reminded me of somewhere between the hippie culture of free love and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show um, sexual dystopian. And yeah, it was just something so foreign because I'm like, there would never be this for straight people. Like there's just this sauna you could come and just pay like an entrance fee and then it's just a smorgasbord it is, it, of like whatever you want to do. It is a transaction, Roger. It's a, a transaction, uh, yeah. you know. You have a need, you need to get it sorted, you pay the money and you do it, you go. Yeah, look, there are there are quite a few of those throughout the city and yeah, they work for people. Yeah, yeah. It was um it was very eye opening. Uh well when I say eye opening, I couldn't close my eyes literally. You know, and just to give people a bit of a flavor, if you want to live vicariously through through this trip to Wonderland, um, you know, this was you know, going down dark corridors and people hooking up and, you know, a guy getting blown in the corner, like other people kissing, you know, four people wrestling naked in another room and, and then just a bunch of other guys. Like there was a guy like reading like the Financial Times, having a coffee in the waiting room and then next door to him, there's like strobe lights going off and, and someone getting, getting it on, right? Like it was crazy. And I was like, this is simultaneously beautiful and horrifying because it challenges everything that like what I understand the world's about, right? And then the poor little, like what really translates is um, this poor little uh, Indian guy had to come in halfway through with the fucking spray and wipe and was like cleaning the walls like in the background while <laughs> everyone was having stuff and, you know, I'm like, what a job, what a job. Not to transplant uh, Roger's experiences to, to, your, to your own, but I think on average it's probably fair to say that women are a lot more, well, I'll use the word choosy just because of but yeah, whatever the right word is there, right? They're a lot more discerning because they're trying to, you know, I guess in an evolutionary sense, they're trying to choose a partner that's going to- Agreed. You know, mm. so in this sort of a setting, like how wide is the spectrum of like, you know, fat little butch guy- Versus really buff, you know, kind of goes to the Sorry, gym. What, like, what are you asking? So I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, um, you know, for it depends for, how late the night is, really. Yeah. Bro. Like, well, we, we get yeah. to the end of the it's night, like, you know, how mist filled the sauna is at that time. We're gonna wait till the mist builds up first, and then come back and have another try. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would say though, Andy, like again, not to Jerome, feel free to. To, to kind of back me up or not here. But one of the things that I was um, really, really surprised about the sauna in terms of its clientele, and I think there is a mirror to this at just normal kind of uh, LGBT-friendly bars and nightclubs, is the spectrum of men is way, way more than what you would find at just a normal heterosexual bar or whatever. So there was like really quite old men, there were like really young men and everything in between, right? Like it's kind of weird. For It was very challenging, for example, to see someone there that like, perhaps could be my dad, like literally looked like my dad or something like that. But you're at the same establishment. You're both having a good time drinking, whatever it might be, right? So I think the ends of the spectrum um, was really, really diverse and really, really like far apart. So uh, Roger, just to be clear, we were talking about a heterosexual sauna here. That's um, because uh, there aren't many. <laughs> well, even when I, like, I to, to that point, actually, I have a friend um, and I know he's a listener, so shout out that uh, we, we, um, we we love to kind of try different um, 
saunas, right? And heterosexual saunas. And like you said, there aren't actually that many heterosexual saunas. So no. there's been a few um, false positives, let's put it that way, uh, when we're <laughs> and a few ones attached to gyms and stuff like that that we thought were safe. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, we, we got it very wrong. But uh, there's something about it, I guess. It's something, it's a, it's a certain environment that um, is conducive to that, I suppose. It's very discreet and it's already innately physical because, you know, you're naked and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I love a good sauna. Yeah. Indeed. I don't know if you want to talk more about gay saunas, but um, I expect you'd find a very different experience if you went to one of those. They are not the same as a heterosexual one. Can, can um, I ask, Jerome, what's your craziest story or the wildest thing you've you've seen in one of these establishments? I'd have to say uh, Los Angeles would have had to be one of the worst <laughs> in terms of uh, cleanliness. Oh, so if you, if you can't walk... Of course, you have to take your shoes off. But if there is so much stuff on the floor that you can't walk without slipping, <laughs> then you know that's a problem. Mm. <clears throat> Pressure hose. Yeah. yeah. I think um, to just uh, focus on an element, right? So I think that some people would see that uh, as, a, as a lifestyle and kind of almost bring morality into it. And I think that's yeah. the part where this, this becomes really tricky because all a heterosexual person may be that has old school values can see is that being a destructive behavior bad. because they yeah, base their yeah. life on really yeah. hetero and monogamous terms, right? Um, yeah. And not see the downside of that because everything is a, is a trade-off in life. Um, there's plenty of plenty of monogamous couples that are very deeply unhappy for some of the reasons that you mentioned, right? They're not getting their needs met. Yeah. Things have changed over time. So do you guys remember the Grim Reaper ads? Jerome, do you, to, um, do you want to just explain the Grim Reaper um, campaign just, just so that people who are not familiar with it? Yeah, so was it 1984 when that came? I think it was 1984. I was a young child at the time, or 84, 86, I think, was when the Grim Reaper ads came out, and that was because of the, the AIDS um, at that time. It was called the AIDS virus. It's the HIV virus, of course, we know now, and people were dying from that. At the time, it became a gay disease. I mean, it wasn't, but I think the gay community were targeted because they were the ones that were impacted the most at the time by it. And mm. um, a lot of people died, but that was a long time ago. And a lot of older people still think about that. It, it's not really an issue for, for anyone anymore. We, we've got the medication that we need. We've got the prevention that we need to put in place. So long as people um, use what we have, we're all fine. And that is why I think there's a bit of a pr proliferation at the moment of saunas and stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really good segue into this, um, into our kind of next area, which is really this idea around acceptance and the evolution of how the world and especially the LGBT community has dealt with HIV, right? And there's been all these advances. And I think Something that uh, is probably common knowledge that HIV is no longer a death sentence, as they say, due to antivirals and, and advances there. But probably lesser known is the the emergence of PrEP. And do you want to kind of speak to that a little bit, Jerome, and, and kind of bring people up to speed? Yeah, totally. So it is very similar to, but not as hectic as the drugs you would take if you had HIV. But it pretty much completely prevents you from contracting HIV in the first place. So long as you're 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 good with the the dosage, I think it's a, a pill a day. It, it's not that hard, and for for a gay person, and it, it's actually funny because I feel like gay people are actually a little bit more in tune with their health and not mm -hmm. contracting diseases because of what has happened in the past. Whereas heterosexual people, I think they might be a bit more complacent about what could happen if they didn't take these drugs. The gay people, the gays, have taken this on, and not only just for HIV, but for other things as well. So using condoms, making sure that you practice safe sex has, has been a big thing for a very long time, and that has cut down. It's proven to cut down um, the transfer of any disease. Yeah. Is there any stigma about being on PrEP? Or is it just so widespread that it's almost, it's nothing? I think the only stigma is that if people, uh, if you talk to people about being on PrEP, you're, you're known as a bit of a slut. But um, <laughs> again, and, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's really that much of an issue for gay people in that social scene. I didn't think I'd have a personal anecdote about PrEP, but I was in the um, GP clinic the other day and I saw a sign, a poster it was like one of those like Australian government sort of sponsored type things. And it was pitched around 
Um, and, you know, probably no surprises in the area that I live. But it was pitched around, are you going overseas in the next couple of months? <laughs> like, you know, make sure you, you, you know, ask your doctor about this. That was the prompt, right? Of almost like get your, get your tetanus, get up to date on your tetanus shot. Yeah. And prep at the same time. Monkeypox was another thing, a gay mm. disease that has per call, Sandalands, the gay disease. We, we just all got vaccinated. Just fucking do it. And I feel like we're a bit more on top of our health than a lot of other people, to be honest, because of that and what we've experienced in the past. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that that kind of wellness culture, and that extends to wellness culture too, I think, in the um, in the gay community, right? Like, I mean, some of it's obviously for uh, for vanity, but I think it, it kind of translates to just being very conscious about your health in general, right? Definitely. So, Jerome, I'm interested now to turn to the topic of gay prostitution and about yeah some of the challenges and the issues involved. Oh, yeah. So, this is something that, that's close to my heart. I um, I didn't realise. So, I grew up in the country. I moved to the city when I was very young. I had a job with the bank and there were all these people that I that I'd met that were close friends and at the time, I just didn't know what was going on. They didn't have jobs, did they? And I um, recently come out. Everything was new to me, the whole gay scene. A very different time, but um, a lot of people, they're kind of estranged from their families. If they don't have a job, they end up having to engage in prostitution. And yeah, look, I think it, it's a it's a gay thing. I'm not sure if it's happening right now, although looking at OnlyFans, and I feel like it's picked, it's moved on. It's moved on from what it used to be about meeting up with people, and now it's just on the internet. If you're gay, you kind of have to get an income because you you can't get it or you feel like you can't get it anywhere else and that's what people do so what what's the balance of it being seen as like an opportunity or you know like becoming exposed to you know potentially some of the financial upside of doing it versus the you know the the being compelled to do it so like one of the anecdotes that i read in a book was that you know if you were a young gay person growing up in let's say 1930s Italy or somewhere, you know, at that time of that era, right? You have two ways to gain respect in your community. One is to be a family man and, you know, get married and, you know, be the pillar of strength in your community or become a priest. And so, you know, if you were if you were gay, you ruled out the first option and you went for the second. Is it so how much of it is sort of placing and opting into a an opportunity that becomes available in that this market exists, I guess? Yeah, well, there's already one option taken off the table, isn't there? So, you know, for, for someone that they're attracted to men, they're not going to have a family. And uh, again, that kind of cuts them out of getting some opportunities that they otherwise would have. So, where do they go? They go to the gay bars or and, and the gay bars have older men who have the potential to look after them. And I think that's what happens. There must be a part too that is just, uh, you know, Gay men are still men, right? And they probably have less shame around this kind of stuff as well, right? That I think that because of societal norms as well, that um, maybe it's not as taboo in that in that way, right? And that they can yeah, see I'd it as, uh, yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Yeah, for someone that's young that's coming out, I'm, I'm just not so sure. Yeah, I, mm. I think it's a bit of an issue. I, I think it's one of those things that kind of goes under the radar, kind of moves into that whole gay suicide thing also as well that is another issue that, yeah. Wow. You know, I, I think yeah. that for me, the blurred line here is probably, and this is something that probably cuts divides from sexual orientation, is this idea of power imbalance and being attached to some kind of sugar daddy or sugar mama or whatever it is, right? Like I think that blurred line of transacting sexual favors for, you know, finances, right? Like, is that prostitution? And some would say yes, some would say no, but it's probably clear Where do you that you draw the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is it a dinner? Is it a drink? Or is it, let's go home and have fun for, I don't know, 300 bucks or whatever? Yeah. Or, you know, like, or being someone that you have a relationship with a, an old man and he pays you rent, he, you know, he puts you up somewhere and all this kind of stuff, gives you all the drugs you want or whatever it may be. Yeah. You find that on Twitter. Only fans. But I guess my, my kind of challenge to, to the situation is that if you reverse the sexes uh, into a heterosexual, like a, a woman having a sugar daddy, puts her up, pays for her rent, takes her out to dinner, whatever, but it's obviously implied that that sugar daddy is getting sex whenever he, he wants, they wouldn't really classify that as prostitution, even though 
everyone involved is probably getting exploited to some degree. True. Yeah. It, it would be interesting to understand the prevalence in each situation and like gay Gary or straight. I don't know. Yeah. Just adjacent to this though, Jerome, I probably have a question, a, a curiosity more about the tales of old school kind of cruising and scene joints, you know, like public bathrooms and certain parks. And, and is that like a bygone era that is about secrecy or is it actually still uh, in operation and like a kink thing? It's like there are people that um, are just into that and, and, it, and it's a part of the culture or not. Uh, it still exists. It totally exists. Any bathroom, any public bathroom. Yeah. So there's certain like parks and things like that? Yeah, yeah, there are. There are. So you would have heard about Centennial Park, I suspect, in Sydney. There's, I forget what the park is, the domain. There are various bathrooms that, and they're all over the place. So yeah. you get that look that I talked about before. So Andy, Roger, have you heard about Beats before? Do you know what a Beats is? Well, I like thought a- it was like a scene, like a like a cruising thing. Is that... Or is that too general? Uh, so it could be anywhere. It could be it could be a park. It could be a toilet. It could be uh, somewhere where gay guys know that they can go, and there'll be other gay guys there. Could be, it's in public, of course, yeah. and they would meet each other at the purpose of some kind of sexual relation. So, so even so, with uh, like uh, like apps and stuff out there, there's still people who like to do it old school. They this is how they roll. Yeah, and and generally they're the people that are married. Ah, uh, yes, like closeted. Isn't that the most dangerous ones, though? Uh, there are. So you're talking about, and this has been in the press quite a bit, Mark's Park on mm. Bondo Beach. I don't think that's a beat anymore for obvious reasons, but a few guys were thrown off there because it was a target. But you've, you've also got the nude beaches that, that become some kind of a beat as well, so obelisk. But, yeah, there's a few other nude beaches yeah, well, around. A- Andy and I will make sure we put all these locations in the show notes so that you don't have to listen back to this. <laughs> I actually have a question. Like, so when, when I think of toilet blocks and and the like, I like probably the most famous example I can think of is um, is Alan Jones being arrested in the in London, I think, which made me – so I have two questions related to, to that. So he was arrested. So my first question is the legal status of – like when this sort of happened. So I'm not sure if he was arrested for public indecency or because at the time there, the laws were prejudiced against um, against homosexuals. But I guess the other thing that, that I find interesting with a figure like Alan Jones is that, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's of any doubt as to his sexual orientation, but as far as I'm aware, he has not come out publicly. So I guess the second part then related to, to him specifically um, is that, a thing like is there this generation of old, maybe probably more older gay gay gentlemen who the gay community knows that they're gay but but yeah still haven't come out and still maybe don't have a have wives or it's this unspoken it's, thing it's too late for them andy they should be let go for whatever they've done because they've been oppressed for so long they've missed out on most of their lives to be honest half of their life at least they, they probably weren't interested in a heterosexual relationship. And if they had to do so, they, they've fucking struggled to get through it. You know, let them go. Do you think they have missed out though? Or they're just kind of like it's a um, don't ask, don't tell situation where on the weekends they're just hidden up their own business? I don't, I don't think anyone has it in them to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like on the legal side, because I've, I've been listening to a bit of history lately in the UK – they had the famous, sorry, they had the famous um, uh, English Buggery Act, and that was put in by King Henry VIII. And when he did all the splitting of the the church and all that kind of stuff, right, which obviously made it a crime to to have anal sex between men, and that like lasted something crazy, like all the way until 1861. And they only changed it to acts of indecency to make it easier to prosecute gay men. Like it wasn't like a step forward. It was just trying to relax the law. And they were, um, and when they did try to try someone on buggery, they had to like prove that anal penetration happened. And they had all these things of like, look how dilated this man's asshole is and how droopy his penis penis is. Like, and they're just like, oh man, it's too hard to prove this law. We're going to have to do something else. We're going to have to make it a little bit more uh, easy to uh, prosecute. Um, so it's not a great history in that respect. In Tasmania, it, weren't they the laggards in this space here in Australia? Yeah, they were for the yeah for gay sex. They were. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's so much go. So much has gone on recently in the US as well. With the I remember the guy with the white stance who was arrested, and I think he was a Republican that was trying to stop. You know, he was anti-gay at the time, and he was arrested because he was 
hooking up with someone in a toilet. You know, it it happens every. Yeah, um, there's got to be a better way, right? Like, surely the apps are more discreet than the toilet. Yeah, block, it's called Grinder. Grinder, <laughs> and so now people use Grinder to hook up in a bathroom because it's close. <laughs> <sighs> That, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, now, since we're in the bathroom store already, can I ask a question, Jerome? Is the glory hole a gay invention? Good question. I can't say I claim that. Because in my experience, yeah. um, sometimes a hole in the wall just is a hole in the wall. And um, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Uh, <laughs> well, isn't, isn't the whole point you don't know who's on the other side, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah it's the ultimate Schrodinger's <laughs> box because you don't know if there's going to be a box on the other side. That's right. Yeah. And the only way to determine is to actually. Um, find out usually a quick finger comes through beforehand roger <laughs> so you know there is a person there is it not a little led light or something no 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 you know a really good one a name for one would be like the black hole and it was like always like dark so you couldn't like actually see at the black hole that'd be a great name for a bar and a glory hole it could be a dyson beforehand dyson yeah no blades very good thinking <laughs> yeah um with all only fans thing is it Again, I'm assuming if a lot of relationships are open, having subscriptions to OnlyFans is no big thing. Is that right? No. Yeah, that's that's it's no big thing. And in fact, if they're in a relationship, they'll they'll do the whole thing, like record their entire relationship on it every night of the week. If mm. you, if you want to watch, I'm not not into that. But if you if you're on Twitter, they'll they'll show you. What's the appeal? Is it that they're public figures or? Like, no, it's I know. just porn. Yeah. It's just porn. But, what, right? but see, like, free. isn't it just free, freely available anyway? Why it's do free. Pay? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If you want to have a wank, you use the porn off. But, but isn't OnlyFans, like, isn't the premise of that you got to subscribe, right? So, this is this is what I don't understand, right? Yeah. Because I, I've seen, like, there's, like, Married at First Sight. There's lots of the, like, it, it's some t- for the some reason. The market is saturated. <laughs> there is so much of it that, like, when they're new, they'll add the full clips on the Twitter and then they'll start, you know, subscribing to my only fans but it's t- it's too late like i've seen everything now i don't need to look at you so roger i think what we need to do is start an only fans channel to um get our subscriber base up yeah <laughs> I th- we, we have been talking about it i think that the saturation you know like i'm afraid we'd have to go we'd have to meet them at their level and uh we you know we're just beginners so we just have to take it easy while we're talking about media so like the dick pic is something that i know gets sent to girls or women is, is that something maybe go with women yeah. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry for being ageist. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, so so the dick pic is that is that a thing or that's is what it- that's what you lead with uh, on Grindr. Pick you lead you, you lead with the dick. Yeah. No one cares about anything else. Um, is, yeah. is it possible, Jerome? Like you know, in the same way that men, you know, you're like a a tits guy or an ass guy. Is it like? the same is there kind of a a similar thing in the gay world it's really interesting some people are all about the dick some people are about the ass but a lot of people are like don't show me your hole on grind because because sometimes you just get that right you just get an asshole (laughs) what the fuck (laughs) especially when you you know i'm i'm on the way to work and then (laughs) this thing pops up on the screen i'm like Bop. Turn off those notifications. <laughs> it could be children around. Yeah, totally. But, uh, you get the, the old black hole. Yeah. So, you know, not really a good start for me. While we, we're getting in this sort of uh, area, it's hard for me to understand, but there's something for me like a little bit mucky about the asshole. Like, I'm just. Yeah, you got to clean it, bro. <laughs> like, I'm just. Get is the there anyone? And it gets clean. It gets cleaned up beforehand. Yeah. Most guys, uh, even before you go out, right, you clean up a little bit. You douche. I don't know if you've done that before, but maybe you could try it. Yeah. So if, if it comes to that, you don't have to worry. Just uh, not to get it really um, down and dirty, but um, have you heard of the, the concept of the, the clean snap? No. So this is when you're um, doing your number twos. And you make sure you've had enough, like, fibre and all of that so oh, that you don't have to wipe. Oh, I do know. Sorry, Andy. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. Is yeah. this, um, um, are this, you is don't this need like, to, yeah. You don't need to worry about that either. So, as long as you, look, if, you, if you're doing that, that's fine, but you still need to douche and just make sure you're a bit cleaned out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you know. How you going, Roger? You're okay with good. that? Yeah, I think, you know, the dirtiest part of that segment was listening to Andy try to describe the acts, like, in clinical form. Like, I prefer you saying, like, something more colloquial. Anyway. Um, yeah. Or the, or the mucky assholes that he's, he's become accustomed to. Yeah, I thought I thought we were in a place where we didn't need to have that anymore. I used to work with uh, another gay man, and um, he told me a little bit about, he introduced me to 
um, a character, a bygone character of the uh, gay scene in Sydney called Troughman, and he was a bit of a kind of hero, right? And so for our listeners, Troughman was a bit of a local legend in the Sydney gay community. And basically he, in the 1980s and 90s, he would essentially frequent gay bars and he'd be dressed in kind of like a latex gimp suit. And he would lie down in the troughs and encourage like other men to piss on him and stuff. It was kind of like a symbol of like the outrageous kind of like sexual freedoms and, and things of that era. So I want to ask you, Jerome, have you ever seen or know anyone who has seen the magical trough man so i've only been to uh one mardi gras and i've never been to the mardi gras party but that individual was at mardi gras parties who my friends have been to and they have seen and yes that person does exist he's real (laughs) he is actually real yeah i'm not sure he went to every club but he certainly did turn up to the Mardi Gras events and um, not recently, but yeah, he did in the early days. That's another thing that, that gay guys are quite into is just pissing on each other. And no, I'm not talking about everybody, but it is one of those those themes that, that you're going to hear about. I mean, Golden Showers is definitely like a kink in the hetero world. Um, usually like women urinating on men. Um, as made famous by the Sex in the City episode, but uh, no, it's definitely like I don't I don't know anyone who uh, has shared that detail with me. But uh, then again, I think like straight people are less inclined to share details about their intimate life, right? Because yeah, that's you know, true. Because of the whole monogamy thing, right? Like I don't think you know it's hard to yeah. it's hard to tell your mate. Oh, my wife pissed on me last night, and then have a dinner party the next week, and like look her in the eye, and like you know she's pouring apple juice, and you try not to laugh. Like there's this whole bunch of awkwardness right like you just (laughs) why is that though i'm just wondering how that conversation comes up like in the first instance like um darling will you um, take a piss it would be so kind if you uh mm. it is funny though because in a a gay party like i've had many uh friends over and and sometimes that does come up in conversation like oh this guy he came over and he pissed over me last night and it's like wow okay thanks for sharing that but (laughs) i'm guessing that doesn't happen in your i don't mock them Obviously, <laughs> we, we try not to kink shame here in the middle, and um, we're pretty deep for for most of our listeners. But I think why I bring up trough man and this whole idea and like say like pissing and all this kind of stuff it, again, I think it goes to it goes to this morality thing, right? Like, how do you get inside the mind of a man who spends his free time encouraging other men, random strangers, to piss in his mouth? Like, it does kind of you know, it's it's not. Um, something that is hard to process without a level of judgment, right? Because you just don't understand it and you always fear what you don't understand, right? And I think that that's the, that, that line is kind of true in that way. It's like just not, not understanding because if you don't understand that, then how do you know how they're going to act around you? How do you know, how can you relax about anything? Even though none of this is any of your business, but it does kind of, I think, challenge the mentality around that. But, but you don't need to worry because the guy's in a trough, right? And all he needs you to do is piss on him. So that's all you I know, need and, to and do. You and you've got to piss anyway, right? He's like, having fun. He's having fun and you need to go. So you do it and off you pop. Would you, you don't have to worry. Would you do it, Andy? I'm still scarred from our other episode about um, urinals. So um, there's enough. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Look, I'm not sure what urinals you've been using, but it's not <laughs> that hard. You know, you, you're busting. It's a party. You've got to go. There's a guy in there. He's enjoying himself just but, but like, definitely not a house party though, right, Jerome? Like, I wouldn't want that in my, um, not, that oh, I have, not that I have a trough in my house, but um, I definitely wouldn't want that. You've got a bathtub, don't you? Oh, yeah, good point. Good point, good point. I mean, that's definitely the best place for it. Maybe you could give it a shot. Should we all come over next weekend and maybe? <laughs> Again, I mean, I'd be open to dipping the toe, but it would have to be no higher than the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> to get this conversation uh, out of the trough. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I was... Um, Actually, one like so today we've been talking about gay culture predominantly from a you know like two blokes right. But I want to maybe for a minute talk about lesbians in terms of like its team LGBTIQ or whatever, right? But outside of that, how does it fit together, or does it not fit together? I don't think it does, Andy. I've got a lot of lesbian friends, but that that kind of that that is their own thing. They're not, they're not into the gay party. So, usually a gay party. We have a few drinks. They're not into that. They want to go home, have a few kids, set up a bank account, get a mortgage and build a house. They're not into the party life, I think, that gay guys are. 
All right. Well, we might go um, into another question. I think that this is idea of the power of the pink dollar. It's very common to see, I suppose, very successful kind of corporate um, gay men out there and um, in organizations and things like that. And there tends to be this kind of follow through in terms of affluence from, you know, potentially not having the expensive kids and other things like that. And I'd just like to get your take, Jerome, on how you see that playing out in terms of spending habits and how it impacts kind of financial decisions in the gay community. Yeah, well, I think um, spot on. I also came from corporate environment, and of course, I don't have the i, I have the, I have the ability to focus on some just work. Really, you don't go out that often. You do go out, but you don't have the kids to look after. You don't have to worry about the the picket fence. So you can you can focus on just doing your job and earning as much as you can. And at, at the same time, I guess there is a focus in the community about looking quite wealthy, being wealthy. So you do have to try to attain a different level to, I guess, what a lot, a lot of other people would think is, is is normal. What's the flip side? Like if you don't give off that impression that you of, are of means, how are you perceived and, and is there a different – because like what I'm thinking of is in the heterosexual world, you've got, um, you know, yeah, corporate types, lawyers and, you know, re, you know people earning – you know, finance people, whatever, earning lots of money that kind of have appeal because they're 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 dominant in that landscape. But then at the same time, like a lot of women are really attracted to like tradespeople, right? Rough and tumble, sort of. Yeah. So, like, I guess what it, what how does that play out in the yeah in the gay world? Yeah, gay gays are really judgy though. So if you're a tradie, you need to be fucking successful at it. You need to have a decent house, and I suspect a little bit more judgy than the heterosexual female would be. You need to have decent clothes. You need to be able to go out. And my experience is, you know, you you had to have the really cool, hot in a city apartment, and they're fucking expensive. So you had to have that role to be able to pay for it. Yeah, I think it comes down to that having a bit of an arms race, right? Because, you know, you have, like you said, the ability to focus on your career a bit more, less distractions, uh, and then less expenses, like in terms of family. So you have more disposable income. Why not buy that, um, you know, that expensive shirt, the the car, the everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, your peers and your, <laughs> you, you know, kind of dating market is all elevated into looking good, wearing good stuff, uh, taste for more, you know, the finer things in life. So I think it's a bit of that arms race, right? Like, um, that, that goes along with it. Def- yeah, got to keep up. The dressing well thing I really relate to, right? And I and I kind of think that that's a, like Andy said before, a very clear indication in some way, someone who really takes pride in, in how they look and, and what they wear and stuff like that. And I think that it's a criticism of, of straight men sometimes by by women <laughs> that not enough effort is put in and um, too much, yeah, too little effort is put into to the way you look and it's kind of, you know, once you're in a relationship, you just kind of let it go and not not in a good way, not in a liberating way. But, but it, I think that comes back to your point, Jerome, around judginess, right? Because if women are less judgy, then yeah, of course, like why would you keep going to the gym if you didn't really want to? Or why would you continue to, you know, have have like expensive clothes if the only reason you did it in the first place because you wanted to attract a partner, right? So once, um, yeah, once that pressure's off, um, it's uh, it's free going plus plus i guess they're probably the other aspects that whole um monogamy piece too right i completely agree with that andy <laughs> yeah so so i feel like before you've you've decided to partner that female might be just as judgy as any gay guy but after a year or two of being together <laughs> they're like we just need to save some money to look after the kids that we're going to have, and no, I don't give a fuck what you look like. <laughs> Can't afford to. I'm not. I'm not attracted to you now, anyway. So you just fucking do that. Right. Whereas the gay guys are like, you know, we're not having kids, and if you start looking like shit, I'm going to get a new one. So, so you'll hate it, bro. Yeah, that's that's funny. I mean, it, it translates to all different aspects right like like you said the the the, the hot shit in a city apartment the the clothes the designer clothes the cars like the just it's kind of like a, a mindset really isn't it like don't don't be povo like have a bit of you know totally kind of be a yeah. life is about epicureanism right like enjoying the finer things in life and that's how you get the most out of it so jerome i want to change course a little bit here and talk about the topic of coming out and i guess um you know, this is something that heterosexual p- 
people don't have to go through. They presume the default almost and don't have to do anything to um, to flag yeah to their friends, family, whatever. Um, one of the things that I've heard before of this this concept of like coming out, like you don't just come out once. You have to come out multiple times in your life to new groups of people that you you know whether it's colleagues or but. Yeah, I guess I'm interested to hear your take, either reflecting on either your own experiences or experiences of of people you know, because, yeah, I mean, I guess in the popular culture, it is presented as this traumatic thing for some people. Yeah, I don't even think, Andy, it's needed to come out today, whereas before, I think it was kind of, you needed to come out so that people could understand the reasons why you wouldn't want to do certain things with them. I, I think about my experience. So I moved to Sydney in 1997, 98, a long time ago. And at that point, I wasn't even sure what being gay was. So it took me a while to, to sort out. I was working when I moved and it took me a while to sort that out. But when I did, I didn't come out straight away. I just continued to, to be as, as what I thought was normal. And then Two years later, I did come out, and that was a big thing. Like a lot of people, are like, well, how do you just decide this right now? You know, you told us you were this person, and now you're telling us you're someone else, and that was a big thing for them. Probably, look, I, I don't think it was as big for them as it was for me, but it certainly they made it that way. But as I think about the different workplaces I've been through, that's changed over time. Like my current workplace. I don't even need to, to worry about that. don't need to worry about it anymore, which I think is a great thing. And I think for young people growing up, they don't need to worry about that shit anymore. It's it's kind of, it's okay. Well, one thing just in the context of like a workplace, one thing I, I've noticed now is, um, you know, the, just the increasing prevalence of just the default of using the term partner, right? So, like you know if there's someone you've you don't know anything about their personal circumstances their their life what you know what they're up to and um yeah i mean like almost like i rarely see someone just assume now like uh, that um oh your your husband or your wife or your you know it's it, it's this very generic term partner which can cover any manner of possibilities whether they're married not married male female whatever but in some ways that has the effect of almost kind of taking away the the color and the flavor of people's personal lives it's almost like oh don't you know don't go anything more further than the just the really neutral terminology yeah it depends on who it is though doesn't it i mean so if it if it's my um my line manager i'm i'm pretty open and honest and i don't i don't say partner I, i'd say names so it's quite clear to them if it's male or female and uh, with my, you know my close colleagues I'll, I'll use names as well I don't think I need to, um, I certainly don't need to be screaming it from the, the hills that I'm a homo or I have a partner. Yeah, I just do my job and yeah. and that's all I need to do. I'll probably um, uh, move us now to this idea of, you know, I mentioned that, that I have a few um, friends who are kind of from an older generation in terms of the gay culture and, and I find that sometimes when they speak about it, as you would in any kind of intergenerational playback, they kind of have a bit of a bee in their bonnet about the gay culture and the, and the gay community kind of losing its authenticity, its kind of subculture status that was um, their own. It was their own thing. It was distinctive. It was slightly underground um, to now it being just too assimilated or too co-opted. Do you have any thoughts, Jerome, on on how that plays out and, and in your mind or your take on it? Uh, well, my thought is that probably needs to to be that way i think we we do need to assimilate i think that we need to be accepted as normal people and and that's the way it should be i've noticed over time that gay bars have started to to close down and i think that's because gay people don't need to go to a gay bar anymore and it's not just the apps a lot of people go oh that's because you're meeting on the apps no it's because we feel more accepted in normal bars Mm. And that's a great thing. And I thank them for, for what, what older people have done. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like we're at a place we, we don't need to be different anymore. I think what's um, been great about this conversation tonight is that like, I guess for that assimilation piece or that being accepted piece, there's still quite a bridge of understanding between 
you know, like I've learned a lot tonight, <laughs> put it that way, which is, and so having a conversation like this to understand more, I think is, yeah, I mean, because like, let's, let's face it, like the last, well, pretty much forever, really, like a lot of these topics have been taboo and like, it's actually really refreshing to be able to have such a, like a frank conversation. It's like an episode of that ABC show, you know, you can't ask that, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean- and look, I don't know if any of our listeners sort of yeah would would be in the same boat as me, but yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been great to um, yeah just to yeah. It's soon going to turn into an episode if you can't say that um, when we get it air. But anyway, <laughs> I, I totally agree. And uh, Jerome, you know how grateful we are to to come on and hope we're striking this the right balance of um, curiosity and respect. Yeah, it's been it's been a great conversation. Thank you, Chance. <laughs> I'll let you guys go. Take care. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Jerome. You know, Andy, that, that was a crazy conversation. And, um, you know, finding your groove in something like that is, uh, is a real challenge.